0: Well, we're going to read from the Bible together now. And our reading comes from Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 14. Uh, you'll find our reading this morning on page 850 of the Pew Bibles. Page 850. it's Mark chapter 14. And we're reading verses 1 to 11. Boys and girls, you're, you're going to come down to the front in just a minute or two. And Andrew is going to be speaking to you this morning. He wants you to listen really carefully to this reading and to listen out for a word that begins with B. So we're reading Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. And boys and girls, you've got to listen out for a word beginning with the letter B. Okay, so we're reading is on page 850. It's Mark chapter 14, verses 1 to 11. And this is God's word to us. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, good morning.
1: It's, uh, it's really great to be back with you in Buckna again. I do want to thank Stephen for his invitation to be here. It's uh, just such a lovely atmosphere you have in your church. You know, they, some people can say things they don't really mean it. They're just kind of buttering you up. Well, I'm not buttering you up. Uh, there really is a great atmosphere in your church. A really warm welcome. It's tremendous singing in the congregation. And uh, the 23 that you have at the front, plus more, are just fantastic. So bright. Um, so what you're doing here in Buckna, keep doing it. If you're working hard this year, make sure you're working hard, twice as hard next year because the Lord is, is blessing you here. And I'm delighted to be with you to open up the Bible and uh, just to encourage you this morning. So if you have your Bible, can I ask you to open it up to Mark chapter 14. Uh, we want to think about this passage for just a few moments. Let me begin by telling you a story. It's a silly story. I'm pretty sure you'll have heard it before. But I'm going to tell you it because I think it's really helpful. It's a story about this uh, old couple and they're going to a church service. They're going to a church service at night. Let's say they're from um, Bursheen, and they're going to a church service in Belfast. And they're going to this church service in Belfast and they're running a wee bit late. Um, she's been in the bathroom a minute or two longer and he's been looking for a tie that matches his suit. So they're on their way to this church service. They're running late and uh, she says, look, I'm driving. The thing about this couple, or particularly the the wife, is she's deaf. Hearing is absolutely terrible. But anyway, they're in the car, and they're going to the church service. As they're driving along the motorway, the blue light starts flashing. And I I can tell you, when I'm driving to churches on a Sunday morning, I'm always worried about that happening. But the blue lights are flashing, and she's pulled over. The policeman pulls the car in, walks up the window... She puts down the window and the policeman speaks in, excuse me madam, do you know why I pulled you over this morning or this evening? She turns to her husband and she says, what did he say? He turned to her and he said, the policeman wants to know, do you know why he's pulled you in? So she turns to the policeman and she says, I'm really sorry officer, we're going from our house in Bershane, we're running up to a church service in Belfast and we're running late and I was maybe just a wee bit heavy with my right foot on the pedal but we're going to church and that's why I was maybe going a bit hard. The policeman looks at her and says, Bershane you're from? I used to go with a girl from Boucher and, oh, many, many years ago, I can tell you I was courting her one night and I thought she was a great woman, but I saw her the next week. She was the ugliest woman I've ever seen in my entire life. She turns to her husband and she says, what did he say? And the husband looked at her and said, he says he thinks he knows you. (laughs) Well, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? And that story's a lot to do with beauty, how someone appears and how someone looks. And that's what I want to think with you this morning about beauty, just one word. And we live in a world that is obsessed with beauty. You know that and I know that. We know that the television sells us beauty and beauty products (laughs) and how you appear and how you look and how your appearance changes to other people. And our world is consumed by appearance and how you present yourself and how you look in your best and how you might look better. And that's what we want to think about this morning from Mark chapter 14. We want to think about beauty. And there are three points that I want to try and pull out to you from this passage. I'm going to try and just break the passage into three parts. The first thing that we're going to do this morning is we're going to try and just understand the story. And it's a really familiar story. It's a story that you've read. It's a story that I'm sure you've heard sermons on. But we just want to dwell on that story for a moment. Mark 14, 1 to 11, just take a few moments. Now what we're going to do is we're going to look at the responses to that story. And there are really two responses. And we're just going to think about each of those responses in, in turn to the events that happen in Mark chapter 14. And that's why we're going to break up this passage just into three parts. Well, first of all, this story, this narrative that Mark tells us about, and it gives us a setting for it. Just look at it there. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Well, the Jews had a couple of really significant times of the year. And this was the time of the year they remembered God freeing the people, his people, from Egypt. This is the time they remember that there were slaves in Egypt and God had broken the yoke of slavery. God had brought them out of Egypt and they were going to the, the promised land, the land of Cana. And this Passover is remembering God's deliverance. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was remembering they were in a hurry to get out of Egypt to the promised land. And the Jews all went up to Jerusalem to remember these feasts. Josephus, a first-century historian, not a biblical writer, says that at the time of Passover in Jerusalem, 265,000 lambs were killed. Now, maybe some of you are farmers. 265,000 lambs were killed just in one feast. Now, think about how many people have to be in Jerusalem for there to be 265,000 lambs killed. I mean, you're talking well over a million people. Everybody's making their way to Jerusalem including Jesus, and Jesus stops outside Jerusalem, and he stops at somebody's house in Bethany, and we're told the name of that man. His name is Simon the leper, and Jesus comes into his home, and we know a few things about what's happening in that home. We know that this home is full of people who are grateful for Jesus. We know Simon's grateful about Jesus. I mean, his name Simon the leper. Well, we know that his first is Simon, and his nickname is the leper, We know that one time in his life this man had leprosy and we know that this man doesn't have leprosy now because if he had leprosy he wouldn't have a home and there wouldn't be anybody in that home. So how is Simon who was a leper now no longer a leper? Well probably Jesus healed him. That's the most likely answer. And we know that Lazarus is in the home. We know that Lazarus' sisters are in the home, Mary and Martha. And we know that they're grateful for Jesus because just a few weeks earlier, Lazarus, who was dead, was resuscitated. And we know that the disciples are in the home and there's a lot of people in this home who love Jesus, who've been following Jesus. And we're told what's actually happening in the home, they're at table. Now I want you to notice the detail in verse 3 because that's significant. We're told that they're reclining at table. The way that we sit, we sit vertical, head, body, feet beneath us but in the first century they weren't vertical they were horizontal they were lying it was like like spokes in a bicycle wheel your head was towards the middle your feet were going towards the outside of the room and everybody was round just like a bicycle wheel with a foot in the middle you perched yourself in your elbow and then you dipped your 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 bread into whatever dishes in the middle and you ate and you need to notice that and then we're told this woman comes in This story is in three of the Gospels. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, and it's in John. Matthew and Mark don't give us her name. She's just an anonymous woman. But John tells us her name, and it's Lazarus' sister. It's Mary. We could call her Mary of Bethany. And she comes in, and she comes in with this alabaster flask. We're told that, and that's significant as well, because alabaster is a soft rock. It's a rock that can be carved. And she comes in with this alabaster flask, and it's got nard in it now this nard didn't come off amazon nard is a plant that's growing in the high slopes of the himalayas whether in afghanistan or india or pakistan somewhere in that kush region this ointment this nard has been bottled manufactured in that area It's traveled thousands of miles it's now in the holy land and this lady owns it and we're told it's valuable i mean just the distance that it's traveled tells us it's going to be valuable And we're told about its purity, we're told about its quantity. You know when you stop in at the service station on the side of the road, they're selling those those coffee, the coffee, and you can bet it in the wee blue cups. Well, those coffee cups are 11 fluid ounces. This woman had 12 fluid ounces of pure nard. This is the really good stuff. We know it's really good that it hasn't been contaminated, because when she went to use it, she broke the top of it. If this stuff had travelled and had been contaminated in any way or had been diluted in any way, the the top had already been broken. But this is the really good stuff. We're told how expensive it is. We're told later on that it can be sold for 300 denarii. Now you may be thinking, well, what's a denarii? Well, in Matthew's gospel, we're told that a denarii is a labouring man's wages for one day. So, man, if you were to go out and work in the fields for one day, what would your money be? Would you get 70 pounds? Would you get 80 pounds? I don't know. But for 300 days work, that's what this perfume, this ointment cost. If the minimum wage is 9.50 and you were to work 300 days, you're coming about 19 grand. So this perfume, how many thousands of pounds are it going to cost? She comes in. This is our scene. She breaks the top of this alabaster flask. Mark tells us and Matthew tells us she pours it in Jesus' head. John tells us significantly She also pours it on Jesus' feet. She covers all of Jesus' body in this. Jesus is dripping with this. Jesus is dripping with this nard. And the smell just fills the whole place. And what do we make of this story? Well, Mary obviously loved Jesus. She obviously thought a great deal of Jesus. I mean, she took this really costly perfume and she poured it all over him. But there's more. We said we were going to have three points. Well, here's the second one. Let's think about the responses. There are always some in a church. There's always some in a church who are working against the gospel, who are working against what the Lord wants. And in every church, there's people who sound good, who are very persuasive, who can bring a crowd of people with them, but they're actually working against the gospel. They're working against the Lord Jesus. And you find that here in Mark 14. It says in verse 4, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was this wasted? We used to use a phrase where we would say somebody's holier than thou or self-righteous. Now we use a phrase where we say somebody's virtue signaling. You know, somebody says something really good or does something really good and everybody sees it, but the reason they do it is not because they're genuine, it's because they want to be seen. Well, we're told that the disciples speak up. John tells us that one of the disciples speaks up in particular. John tells us Judas speaks up. And he persuades the rest of the disciples to almost gang up on this woman and to embarrass this woman. And his reason is really, really good. He says, this perfume is really expensive. This was really costly. And it's just wasted. It's just been dosed all over Jesus. He's just been covered in it. Why did you not sell it and give it to the poor? I <laughs> mean, Nobody's going to argue with that. Give it to poor people. Nobody's going to argue with that. And they scold this woman. They embarrass her. But we know that Judas is being manipulative. We know that Judas is obsessed with money. We know that Judas is not only obsessed with money, but we know that Judas is obsessed with property. (laughs) And Judas wants money to buy ground. We know that he's already done that because we're told in Acts of the Apostles. And Judas sees, and I want you to think about this, Judas sees this money, this 300 denarii, this thousands of pounds slipping through his fingers. And what does he do? He's been with Jesus for three years, but at this significant point, whenever he sees thousands of pounds, which could have been going into the money bag, when he sees that money slipping through his fingers, at what point, this point, he says, look, I'm away. I've had enough. Because it's immediately after this that he goes and betrays Jesus to the high priests. He says, I'm here to make some money. That's why he's with Jesus. And he says, I've had enough. There's just hypocrisy here, isn't there? There's hypocrisy from Judas. There's hypocrisy from the religious leaders. People who sound good, who speak really well, but they're working against the gospel. W.P. Nicholson put it like this. He said, there are some churches... If you had a bucket of milk at the back door, it'd be ice cream before it reached the pulpit because the people are that cold. And that's a warning to us, isn't it? Are we a hypocrite? Are we cold to the gospel? Are we working for our ends? Are we working for the Lord's end? Maybe you're here at church this morning and you're thinking, look, I'd be a Christian, but I've seen a few hypocrites. And many times people think like that, and I suppose genuine, I remember visiting people and they would say to me, look, some of your elders owe me thousands of pounds and you're asking me to go to church. If you knew how much money that man owed me, you wouldn't be asking me to go to the same church he goes to. And that's maybe a legitimate question or a legitimate query, but none of us are called to follow another person. We're called to follow Jesus. And if you followed me, I would disappoint you. If you follow another man, They'll disappoint you, but Jesus will never disappoint you. You're called to follow him. And the first response to this scene, well, the first response to this scene or this narrative is where they're attacking this woman. They're embarrassing her. But then our third point, Jesus' response. Jesus speaks up. And it's a beautiful scene. I hope you notice that. Jesus notices his people. And Jesus speaks up for his people. Jesus is the advocate and the defender of his people. Jesus cares for you. He really loves you. He wants to listen to your prayers. He wants to speak to you through the Bible. Whether you be really old or really young. And Jesus is interested in this woman. And how does Jesus respond to this woman? Now I want you to get that. If you've been kind of nodding off for the last minute, I give the, permission, the person beside you permission to elbow you in the ribs because I don't want you to miss this. What does Jesus say? And I want you to look at the words that Jesus uses here. Jesus doesn't say, oh, that's a really good thing she did. He says, she has done a beautiful thing. She's done a beautiful thing. What's my job as a minister? What's Stephen Kennedy's job as your minister? Sunday school teachers, Bible class leaders, those in the organizations with the young people, your precious children, what is your job with those children? What was your job in Sunday school this morning with those children? And what is the job in children's church right now? What is the actual job? What's the point of it all? Parents, what's your job with your children? (laughs) Grandparents, what are you seeking to achieve with your grandchildren? I mean, what direction are you going? Because Mark 14 gives us the answer. My job, your job, is to present Jesus as beautiful. That's the word that Jesus uses here. Jesus says, this woman has has done something for me because she sees me a particular way. She sees me as attractive. She sees me as beautiful. Her heart is desiring me, and so she gives this for me. Because this is the way it works, folks. You know it and I know it. People come to church Young people come to church, teenagers come to church until a certain point, and then they disappear. People leave churches at a particular point, and what is that point? I'll tell you what the point is. The point is when something else is more attractive. A girl will come to church, she'll sing in the group, she'll play an instrument, she'll get involved, some fella will come along, I don't know where he'll be from, the other side of Ballymena, he's not interested in being a Christian, he goes to church the odd time, and she says, look, I'm going to hook my wagon to him, and she's gone. Why is that? Because he's more attractive. Or somebody will be involved in business, and they're under a wee bit of pressure, and they start work on Sunday. And then after a while, Sunday becomes just another day of work. And after a while, Jesus has forgotten about you. You could be a teacher running the SU in your school for 30 years. And then you maybe get a wee bit disheartened or a wee bit disillusioned. And the gospel disappears. And why is that? Why is that? Because there's something else more attractive. There's something else more beautiful. And Jesus here says, she has done a beautiful thing. My job on a Sunday is not to fill your head full of knowledge. My job is to fill your heart with a great love for Jesus so that He is attracted to you, so that He's beautiful to you. So these children, you're 23 children at the front, so as they're growing up, they say, You know, this Lord Jesus, He's something special. There's no football match on a Sunday, or no golf round on a Sunday, or no BQ on a Sunday, or no World Cup match on a Sunday that is going to be more attractive to me than Jesus Christ. And I want to know him and I want to love him. Do you notice what Jesus says here? Just look at that verse, verse 7. He says, You will always have the poor with you. You know, Jesus is not discounting the poor. And whenever you want, you can do them good. But you will not always have me. Verse 8 She has done what she could. She's done what she could. Now I know here in Now you're doing a building project. I was great driving along the road this morning seeing your, your building project to the left. You're getting started. But do you notice what this woman does? It says, these are the words, she has done what she could. What are you doing for the Lord? Those of you are your believers, you're saved, you're going on with God. But what are you doing to serve him? Now, you don't have to tell me all that's happened in your life. You have to answer to yourself, are you doing what you can? It doesn't say this woman did what she couldn't do. If they asked me to play the the piano this morning, I can't play the piano. If they asked me to sing, i sing like a crow. Jesus said this woman has done what she could. So I'm going to ask you legitimately, what can you do? You can certainly fool me. Absolutely, you can fool me. You can maybe try and fool Stephen, but you'll not fool the Lord Jesus. And he notices that this woman has done what she could. So what can you do for the Lord Jesus? How can you serve him? Now we're really getting to the meat of this passage. And I confess I've got it wrong before. I've misunderstood it. I'm happy to tell you I don't have all the answers. And I, like you, I'm on a learning process and trying to understand the Bible. And I've got this passage wrong before. Because what I thought was happening in this passage, what I thought was happening was that this woman thought... Jesus is the Messiah, you know, Jesus has come into the world, Jesus is this miracle worker, and Jesus is the one that healed my brother, and she came up to the house, Simon's house, and she had this perfume, and to show Jesus how much she loved him, she poured this perfume out over his head, that's how I understood it, you know the way you hear about in the first century when somebody went to somebody's house, they anointed their head with oil? I thought there's a wee bit of that in, that in this story. Or do you know the way in 1 Samuel, whenever Saul's made king, they anoint his head with oil. And 1 Samuel 16, David's head's anointed with oil. Do you understand? You've heard those bits before. That's what I thought was happening here. And then I thought Jesus interpreted it. Because Jesus is the one that says, leave her alone. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And I thought Jesus interpreted that that's not right. That's not what's happening here. Mary of Bethany knows exactly what she's doing. Mary of Bethany knows exactly who Jesus is. The disciples don't get it. Jesus' own family don't get it. But Mary of Bethany gets it. Mary of Bethany has been listening whenever Jesus said in Mark 8, in Mark 9, in Mark 10, I have come not to serve or be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. She was listening whenever Jesus said, I'm going to die and then a three days rise again. I mean, what are we told about Mary of Bethany in Luke chapter 10? What's the wee phrase that Luke uses about Mary of Bethany? He says, she sat at Jesus' feet and she listened. Do you remember the two sisters? Do you remember that story, Mary and Martha? One's rushing around hoovering and dusting, and Mary is just sitting there and she's listening. She sat at Jesus' feet, and she listened to what he had to say, and she understood that he was the Messiah, and she understood that he was going to die, that he was going to give his life as a ransom for many, and she understood that. And so whenever she walked into Simon the leper's house, now think about it, this wasn't her brother's house. This wasn't her house. This was Simon the leper's house. She took that nard. She took it off her shelf, out of her bathroom cabinet. She tucked this under her arm, and she walked to his house. This wasn't just some off-the-cuff thing. She deliberately took that, and she walked up to Jesus, and she walked into the room, and she poured that in Jesus, and she didn't just put it in his head. She covered his whole body in it. She was literally anointing him for his burial because she knew he's going to die. He's going to die for his people. Let me ask you a quick quiz question. Whenever Jesus rose from the grave, who was there? Who were the women that went on the first day of the week to the tomb to anoint Jesus' body? Do you remember the names? Well, there's Mary, the mother of James. There was um, Mary Magdalene. And there was Salome. But Mary Bethany wasn't there. Why was she not there? She wasn't there because she didn't think Jesus was going to be in the grave. She was there a couple of weeks earlier whenever Jesus had stood outside another tomb and she had, he had said, Lazarus, come forth. And she knew that this Jesus was the Messiah. And she knew that this Jesus was going to die. And she knew that this Jesus was going to rise from the grave. And so Mary of Bethany, whenever she went into that house that day and poured that perfume all over Jesus' body, she was saying, now this is what she was saying, I want you to get this. She was saying, Jesus, I know who you are. And I know you're going to die for your people. And I know you're going to rise from the grave. And Jesus, 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 there is nothing more beautiful in the world to me than that. There's nothing more attractive to me than that. And I would even take the most valuable thing that I own. And I give it to you. Because there's nothing more precious to me than you. If you were to get out your scales. Get out your scales. And start putting stuff in the scales. And start putting what's important to you. It's really easy to find out what's important to people. Just look at their social media. So many people put up my world this is my children, this is my husband, this is my world, and that's legitimate, that's cool. Or they'll say, look, this is what I'm getting for Christmas, so this is what I want. Well, get out your scales and put what's important to you in the scales, your health, your wealth, your farm, your family, all those things are, leg- are legitimate. But where does Jesus sit in those scales? How do things weigh up whenever he enters into the scales? that relationship, that future plan. Because this woman, Maria Bethany, she says, you can get out my skills and you can put Jesus on one side and there's nothing more beautiful and there's nothing more valuable to me than him. And how did he become beautiful to her? She sat at his feet and she listened to him. She sat at his feet and she just listened to him. Jesus tells us that this is an historic moment, that this is a globally significant moment. You don't find too many of them in the Bible. Jesus doesn't use this line a whole lot of times, but what does he say here, verse 9? Wherever the gospel is proclaimed, in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. There's a lot of different ways that you can slice what it means to be a Christian. There's a lot of different ways that you can cut it. Now, the meaning's the same, but you can approach it from different angles. What does it mean to be a Christian? What is a Christian? How do I know I'm a Christian? Well, if you're sitting in church this morning and you don't take any joy, the word that Stephen's been using, or delight in Jesus, if he's not attractive to you, if you don't desire to listen to him, there should be a red light flashing in your head and there should be a siren going because there's an issue there. But if you have a delight in knowing Jesus, if you want to listen to what he would say to you, if you want to understand his direction for your life, you're a little bit like Mary Bethany. And she loved Jesus, and she delighted in Jesus, and she was attracted to Jesus. And Jesus said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed, whether it be in Buckna or Ballymena or Bestbrook or Belfast or Botswana or Burkina Faso or wherever you go, there's only one gospel, there's only one way to God, and it's Jesus Christ. And wherever that gospel is proclaimed, following Jesus means there is no one or nothing more dear or more beautiful to me than him. Will you pray with me, please? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Our gracious God and Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that it, it opens up our lives like a surgeon with a scalpel, and it shows us exactly what we're like. Father, we ask that we would be revealed this morning to you by your Spirit, that we would be seen by you and examined by you, and that that would be immensely helpful for us, that we wouldn't go on in a way that's fooling ourselves and seeking to fool everybody else around us. But Father, we would delight in your son Jesus, and we would want to know him more, that he would be beautiful to us, attractive to us. So Father, work on our hearts and work on our lives, and give us desires that we don't have, and strengthen those that we do that are of you. I thank you for bringing all these people to Buckna this morning. For those that do know you, help them and build them up. For those that do not know you yet, I pray that they would get it, that they would be like Mary, not like the disciples, but that they would be like Mary and the penny would drop and they would really see who Jesus is, they would really hear who Jesus is, and they would delight in him and count him as more valuable than anything else. Father, we ask that this Jesus, the one who died for our sins, the one who rose again for justification, would be the one that we have great joy in. And so we thank you that you hear our prayer in his name. Amen. Amen.